Welcome back to another Sound Truth interview. I'm your host, Adam Miller, and today we're joined by Dr. Ed Welch, who is the author of some really great books. The one we'll be discussing today is, I think, a very important one, especially within the context of the world in which we're living. How do we balance uh, spiritual counseling issues, psychological disorders with a spiritual relationship and a Christian perspective? The book is called, I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis. What Does the Bible Say? A great resource and really an honor and privilege to have him on the broadcast with us today. Ed, thank you so much for being a part of the many voices for that one message. You're very kind, Adam. Thanks. I'm glad to be with you. Why don't you get it started by telling us a little bit about yourself and the ministry that you represent, CCEF, is a great program and uh, Christian counseling is obviously a much needed area, especially here in New England and the Northeast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background that allows you to get into the conversation of this book. Let's see, the, uh, the short story, converted in college, went to seminary because I was converted by way of reading scripture. And I said, this scripture is pretty powerful stuff. I'd like to study it more. So I diverged briefly from what I was thinking about in graduate school, went to seminary. Went to se- when I went to seminary, I was introduced to this fledgling thing called biblical counseling. And, and I was smitten by it. And I've been working at CCF since 1981. Which I, yeah, yeah, I feel like I should know a whole lot more than I do at this point. So it's been 42 years or so I've been working at CCF. And my job is how does the scripture speak to the struggles of life? I mean, who wouldn't, who wouldn't want a job like that? That's, that's been, that's my vocation and it's my avocation. Mm. Well, I, I hate to say this to you, but you've been doing this longer than I've been alive. <laughs> I, I, I assume that. I wasn't going to state the obvious. But, but the, the, the reality is <laughs> you've been addressing an issue that is is really, for a lo- in a lot of cases, not something that has had a wide or at least centuries-long conversation and, and discussion and study. Uh, this is something that has really been, within your lifetime, uh, an issue that has risen to the surface, the need for biblical counseling, Christian counseling, in the face of a world that has secularized psychiatric disorders? I think the if we were new, that would be a little scary to me, because nothing is new. If, if at this point in history of the church we're doing something new, it wouldn't be right. So we certainly see that we're in this long lineage of the church fathers mm-hmm. and the Protestant Reformation, Jonathan Edwards and Spurgeon and Martin Lloyd-Jones and others. But Adam, I think you're right that that our emergence, which was uh, essentially the the late '60s and early '70s, was during during a time when pastoral care and counsel was languishing. It seems as though the the church was interested in other kinds of things. The end of the world. Uh, the what are the end times going to be about? Uh, liberal theology, and as a result, it seems as though pastoral care languished, and in that. It, it, in that breach came all kinds of secular thought that began to dominate seminaries for quite a while. So, so in that sense, it does feel like something new, but it's, it's simply pastoral care and counsel. And what does God say to the issues of life? So in that sense, it's really fairly ordinary and very old. 
Mm. I think that's a really important point that you made, and one I think we as Christians are starting to realize, especially here in New England in the Northeast, where uh, Christians and churches are actually few and far between, the reality is that uh, a lot of what people understand about counseling comes from a secular foundation, and many people will actually go to a secular counselor, even if they're a Christian, because that's the, the, the easiest and the best resource, most people aren't even looking to a church to go for counseling. They're looking for the world because it's the, the divide between science and the Bible. Yeah, no, I, think, I, think I think you're hitting on the reason why. It's, as Christians, of course we want to know what God says. That's, that's who we are. That's, that's, that's our prominent question. The challenge is, it doesn't seem as though Scripture says a lot to some of the modern problems in living. Uh, you, you don't find depression, frankly, throughout Scripture. You certainly don't find trauma uh, identified as we know it today in, in Scripture. You don't find panic attacks in Scripture, and on and on and on. And so as a result, you, you go to people who seem to know about it. So the question, I think, for us is, is how, can we, how can we persevere and how can we access Scripture so God speaks to everything in life more meaningfully than anybody could ever speak apart from the revelation that God gives us in Christ? That's the challenge. Hmm. It seems that the past two years, without naming what we've just been through, we've talked about it to ad nauseum, but it seems that the past two years has brought mental health issues to the fore. It's really at least raised the red flag that this is an issue that needs to be addressed, and one that the church needs to address head on. This is something that the church has a realm of responsibility to address as a need of our community. Uh, Do you think that this is a positive thing, or is this going to lead us down a path that is actually uh, quite treacherous? Well, there's no question that the last two years have accelerated the mental health challenges where they're more extreme and they're more frequent. The, uh, anybody who is observing what's happened would say that. But I do, do think that the church still is grappling with how does Scripture speak meaningfully? That, that's the question that's before all of us as Christians. How can God's words speak to these particular struggles? How do we access Scripture? How do we access the gospel of Christ for these things? That's the mission I really think in front of all of us. That's really important as well, because a lot of the issues that we've been facing, we can easily get off track. I think that there needs to be a call back, even within Christian counseling, that what our calling is, is a, it's really a spiritual kingdom of God battle that we're, we're waging. But it's very easy to get distracted by all the terms as well as all the circumstances that are happening out there in the world. Yeah. So in that sense, what we want to do is we want to do everything we can to understand how God speaks meaningfully and deeply to the modern struggles of life. And we also, we also want to hit that tone of he speaks more beautifully than anyone else could possibly speak. If, if the gospel of Christ is truly the center of Scripture— and this is, and it's good news. Then, then our mission should be not only how do we speak scripture to these diverse and difficult and confusing problems, but how can it sound really, really good? Mm. 
it seems that w- there's a there's a confusion here within Christianity to think that well you know science addresses the body you know if if I'm sick I don't go to a pastor I go to I go to the hospital uh, if I'm mentally struggling I don't go to the church I, I I go to a a psychiatrist so how do we address that issue what are we talking about when we're addressing psychiatric uh, diagnosis and and the Bible's response to that. If I could dabble in some theological structure here, mm-hmm. let's assume that that all of us of Christian, as Christians have some sort of theological infrastructure. We might not always identify, but it's back there informing how we live. Adam, you're identifying something that really gets at our theological infrastructure. There are there are two ways that we understand who we are. One is as you as you identified, we are body soul and spirit we're in three different parts that would probably be the most common way that christians understand themselves and the body goes to the doctor the soul goes to the mental health specialist and the spirit goes to the pastor or the the christian Uh, the the challenge with that one of the challenges and there are many is that the god essentially has a little piece of the person and frankly, it's a shrinking piece, and it's a—it's the least interesting piece because it, yeah, it, it deals with conversion and, and what's happening way in the future, but it doesn't seem to speak meaningfully to today. The the emotional turmoil and the cognitive turmoil of life—it seems to be separate from those. So that's one way to understand the person. The other way is. We'll, we'll call it this way. Instead of a tripartite model, we, we'll call it we are embodied souls. And the soul identified also as the spirit or the heart. There are lots of different words scripture use. But what it says is there is a, there is a center to our lives, and it is distinctly spiritual. Uh, that the most important thing, all roads lead to who is our God and how can we know him and be brought to him that is the critical question of life whether whether we have physical problems whether we have biochemical problems whatever they might be those are true problems in themselves and and need to be dealt with and perhaps in different treatments but they always they always are part of a map that leads us to this deeper problem so you see what i'm trying to i'm trying to rearrange our way of understanding each other that that the tripartite model it just gives gives scripture and it gives God himself just a little piece of the person. What we want is is for is, is for the scripture to be able to speak to the very center of our being in such a way that that it affects everything. I think of think of what is it? Um first Corinthians chapter two. The spirit searches everything, even even the, the very deep truths of the mind of God. Well, what I want to do is let's, okay, let's put scripture to the test. How does it speak to everything, even these problems that don't seem to be identified there? Mm. I think that's a such an important issue and how to address it, because I think we have, as you mentioned, we've we've limited the role and the scope that the church has, and the pastors, the, the, the scope that they can have influence in our lives. Uh, I was just doing this uh, probably a year or two ago, and we were in the Gospel of Matthew and seeing how church discipline was taking place in Matthew 18, and the next chapter talks about marriage and divorce. And I made the comment, you know, we want the church involved in our wedding, 
but we don't want the church involved in our divorce. Stay out of that area. Uh, we can't pick and choose the role, the scope that our our spiritual nourishment has on our lives. Abraham Kuyper, I think, was the Dutch theologian that that Scripture, God's domain, is every square inch. Yeah. So that's that's what we're after. How can how can we see that Scripture's reach is so much more extensive? Than, than we ever realized. And, and the challenge that I, I'm especially interested in is how does it how does it reach into problems that are so complicated and don't seem to be clearly described or treated in Scripture? Hmm. That brings up the question, and, and you brought it up right there, how does the Bible address stuff that weren't even named in biblical times? These, these sort of diagnoses, these psychological disorders, they're common, they're, they're modern. So how do we address them from a biblical perspective if they weren't even named all the way back then? I mean, I'll just give you a couple illustrations of how Scripture can speak. If indeed God and our spiritual part is not some partition sector of our being, but it's the very center of our being, it, it begins most likely with this question. The Lord comes to us and he speaks, tell me what it's like. Tell me what it's like for you. And if I, if, you know, where do I get that? I get that from, from the corpus of the Psalms. The behind all the Psalms, the Psalms are teaching us, how do we speak to God? And what does he say when he speaks to us? This back and forth process. The Psalms seem to have as this initial question, tell me what it's like. Tell me the important things that are on your soul. Tell me the things that you celebrate. Tell me the things that are especially hard. That's, that's where it begins. It's a, it's, a, it's a very simple question, but it's not a natural question. It's a supernatural question. And if we can speak, you know, here's what's natural, to speak of our struggles, our traumas, whatever it might be, to another person who is highly trusted who loves us and seems to be wise and cares for cares for us well, that is natural. But to speak those things from the God who knows us to the God who knows us, yet He also prizes us to put these into speech before Him. To do that is an evidence of the work of the Spirit. It is supernatural. It's an evidence of God's power. So again, that's that's a small thing, but but imagine how everything changes if we begin by saying, okay, Lord, this is what it's like. This is what it's like. It, I feel like I am drowning. I feel like you put me to bed in the dark. I feel like everything is touched by death itself, whatever it might be. Um, you know, how can we put those words into speech? And then I would suggest that the next question the Lord asks is, tell me more. In other words, work at it. In the same way the Psalms they, some of the psalms seem to be spontaneous expressions of the heart. Others are carefully crafted. You can the psalmist is thinking, "What do I want to say? How do I want to say these words to the Lord?" Sometimes I'll use an, an analogy in my relationship with my wife. I, I, I have been in my life a typical male in some sense, where my wife would say, "Well, how's work?" <laughs> just sort of, some sort of grunt that, that sounds like good, but it's just sort of a grunt. I figured that's, I, I figured she, it was just like, in our area, how are you doing? <laughs> it's, it's not an invitation, it's just a grunt. It's just good. Um, 
but I was convicted of that at some point in our marriage. And, and then I began the process of work. What is it that I want to speak to my wife? What are the things on my soul from this day? What are the hardest things? What are the best things? What are the words that I want to use to communicate to her? That's what we do in our best human relationships. And the reason we do it is because that is, that is, that is, this, that is sort of this overflow of the kingdom of heaven into our lives. So that's, that's where we begin, the hard work of putting our hearts into speech to the Lord. I love that you mentioned the Psalms. It's something we do here every summer. We do our summer Psalm series. And this past year, I think a lot of our listeners are going to uh, to claim PTSD because we deal with some difficult Psalms, uh, Psalms of, of implication, uh, Psalms of imprecatory Psalms, as well as uh, Psalms of lament. And even this last year, Psalm 88, which uh, does not have an, a positive outcome. But yeah. wrestling with those emotions is actually really important. We can't we can't avoid those components, especially when they deal with the whole spectrum of the human experience. We well to partition those from the Lord is saying that that the things that are most important to us, the things we feel, the, you know, the, our emotions are ultimately identifying. Here's our desires, desires that that are dashed against the rocks or desires satisfied. Here are the things we love. Here are the things that, that are the things we love that are being un, are put under siege to, to, to in, implicitly believe that God is really not that concerned about such things. And he's concerned more about the long distance future after we die. It, um, it, uh, it, it, it's, it suggests a relationship with God that um, isn't close. It isn't this back and forth where he speaks to us and we speak to him and he is changed by what we say to him. And then he speaks back to us and he speaks words of comfort and, and we speak back to him. Well, where is that comfort? I hear you saying these things, but where is that comfort? It, it's what... The way Scripture des- des- describes our God, he's, he's not only there, but He's here, and He's very, very close. And and um, that's we 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 are going to take Him at His word. Is He is a God for us today, and the challenges that we have today. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, the psychiatric disorders that you talk about here in this book and uh, why they're important for us to address to begin with. We talk about anxiety, trauma, depression, and narcissism. Um, Why are these issues, um, anxiety and panic disorder, uh, such a prominent issue to be faced and addressed in this book? Why are they so prominent now? That goes back to your question about about COVID and things that have happened over COVID. But but these things were becoming more prominent for for decades. Why? That's a, that's a question that I can't ultimately answer. Um, why did I choose these? I choose these in part because I'm, I'm familiar with some of them. I'm familiar with panic attacks, certainly. Um, why the others? Because because they all challenge scripture to come at us in certain ways. They all have a particular kind. They're all a particular brand of suffering. God speaks to us uniquely in them, and people I love struggle with them. That's that's why those four sections appear in the book, and there are many more, obviously. 
Yeah. How does it, how does the science side of this define these uh, psychiatric disorders? And then how do, how should we as Christians address that and understand its its inclusion in in fact, but also uh, understand how the Bible addresses those issues? Well, to sometimes these words, these experiences are a bit ineffable. They're they're hard to find words to speak and. And there, I think the diagnostic categories can be very helpful because depression, trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, the, to simply go through the description of it, it begins that process of putting words, oh yeah, that's what it's like, that's what it's like. Uh, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't always identify the causes, obviously, but it, it describes what's happening in our hearts. So in that sense, I think the diagnosis can be, can be very helpful. We, of course, we are embodied souls. We take those bodily, those, those physical kinds of experiences, and now we, we speak them to our God. That's, that's where Scripture always takes us deeper. So, so certainly our, our interest is not, is not to question science. We are, we are delighted to have reliable observations. Um, what we recognize is that, is that, that science has its limitations. Science cannot reveal who our God is. It doesn't reveal how He comes close to us and how we move close to Him. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't reveal His comfort. It doesn't reveal His forgiveness. It doesn't reveal the way He covers shame. So, so in that sense, we science has is intended to do certain things. It's not intended to do everything. Mm. It doesn't get all the way to the human heart. For anyone who is a amateur counselor. Uh, I'm talking about this in the Christian context. We often uh, hear somebody talk about their depression, and maybe our response to them is to say, hey, you know, just, you know, just have a positive attitude, rejoice, you know, approach things and change your perspective, change your mindset. Uh, Is that a danger in the consideration that we're not actually considering the fact that there might be a deeper issue that needs to be addressed in a biblical counseling setting? The, these problems that, that you identified, panic attacks, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, these are all various forms of suffering. And, in, in, and we, I think we can say that anyone who has suffered profoundly in the context of the Christian church has heard people say really foolish and unhelpful things. And our temptation is we hear those unhelpful comments, and you just, you just suggested one of the things a depressed person can hear. What do you do? You 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 understand the culture oh these are not things i can speak of here these are not my people and so you find your tribe and you find your tribe in other places outside of the church uh, but that is that's not just a problem with psychiatric disorders that's a problem with all kinds of suffering and, and adam what you're what you're saying first is is as god says tell me what it's like mm-hmm. we do the same thing tell me what it's like tell me what it's like it, it's that doesn't mean we're going to fully understand what it's like for another person. The more intense the suffering is, the, the, the more there are going to be gaps in our understanding. But we would like to know what it's like for that person in such a way that they feel known, that they feel understood, where, where we can describe them in a way that, where we say, that's, where they, where they would say, yeah, that's what it's like. In other words, uh, that with that entrance, there will be patience and compassion for another person, and it will, it, it, and, and those guide those guardrails will will give us 
will give us more helpful care for them. Hmm. I think in the past where I've personally made mistakes in this area is looking at someone claiming to go through this subjective experience that they experienced in their own kind of world and their own set of ideas and then responding to it, well, that's just not true. <laughs> that's that's mm-hmm. not true. The reality is the objective reality is different than your subjective reality, and you just need to accept the objective truth. There is a place and component of, as you said, inviting them to talk about that subjective understanding of how they have experienced the reality that is in place. There, you know, there are. Let's let's find two ways that scripture sort of bridges that gap to psychiatric problems. The first one being, tell me what it's like. The Lord says, tell me what it's like. Speak about what it's like. And then there's another question. If that one's hard enough, (laughs) tell me what it's like to speak from our heart to the Lord. That's hard enough. That's what the Spirit does it. But the second question could be, Lord speaks to us and says, what is it that you want? What is it that you want me to do? what what is it that you need or or what is it that you need where you can only find in me that's that's called prayer that's that's what prayer is um, uh, and that's a that's a more challenging question but but you can see where it brings us is to the promises of god um, so for example uh, depression is is a, is a is a motley experience where pain is at the very center of it and then the accoutrements of that pain, they can be different for each person. Uh, sometimes anger can be, can be part of depression. Um, sometimes guilt, um, probably the, the dominant experience of depression, there's usually some kind of guilt, a sense of profound failure that, that goes along with it. Um, uh, so the question is, how, and the Lord says, how do you want to pray given that? How do you want to pray given your experience of guilt or given your experience of failure um, um, to and here's here's the the prominent thing that you know, here's our default way of moving to scripture we know the spirit wants to give us more of the knowledge of the love of jesus for us so that's if you don't know what to pray that's what you pray you pray that jesus who is present with us and close to us by the Spirit, our eyes and ears would be open to the knowledge of His love. Because ultimately, these struggles, these struggles of life, panic attacks, depression, post-traumatic, it's, it, the answers begin by having the right person who is with us, who loves us and has the power to do something about it. So again, that doesn't answer all the kinds of questions that we can have, uh, but this, these get to the very center of of our very hearts before the Lord. Um, along with that, of course, we look for help. We read as much as we can. We look for other treatments that could manage some of the very difficult symptoms, but we never lose sight of here are the things that are most important. God, we speak to the Lord from our heart. He speaks right back to us about, about the love of Christ portrayed to us on the cross of Christ. Uh, the Christ who is now the resurrected one who hears us, who has given us his spirits. So we know that. And then we then we do that hard work of, now what do we want? What do we want our Father to give us presently? Hmm. We can see that there are 
there are similar expressions throughout the Bible, especially as you mentioned the Psalms, where we can read through these and say, that's how I feel. That's kind of giving verbiage to how I've felt in the past and what I'm struggling with. But we're talking about uh, psychiatric diagnosis, and this is a term that then gives you an identifier of what you're actually dealing with. What's the value of that? Is it valuable? Is it dangerous to have these diagnoses that then become this badge that we wear on our shoulders? Uh, That's a good question. I I, I guess I should say, yes, there is a danger to it, but I am going to I'm going to opt for there. There are more advantages than disadvantages mm-hmm. to to be able to to have people who help us to describe these confusing experiences. That that by itself can be hopeful. Somebody knows it. Somebody understands it. Somebody has been through this before, and I'm not alone in the midst of it. So so I tend to think, yeah, can we can we use labels in a way that are ultimately unhelpful? I would say they would be unhelpful if somehow they screen us from Jesus, if they partition us from speaking about those things to Jesus. But that's not the problem with the the diagnosis. That would be that would be a matter of our own hearts. So no, I would say that that there are and the the more words the better. And if there are diagnostic diagnostic lists out there that help us with the words, then then bring them on. We're pleased to have them. In some of these cases, the diagnosis is is something that, in many cases, the scientific conclusion is that they can't be changed. I'm thinking about like narcissism. It's something that when you're mostly considering how to deal with it, how to cope with it, as opposed to actually transform it. The Bible doesn't deal with us, our internal organs in our mind, in our soul, in our spirit, in that way. It talks about those being changed. So, how do we address that in the context that these terms often come with a mentality that that's who you will always be? If you have ADHD, you're always going to have ADHD. Yeah. What do we do? What we do is we we let's let's put these all in that larger category of suffering. I realize you know that they, they all are in some way. They're all particular features of suffering. But if we put them in the category of suffering. What, what we know is that the scripture does not promise that the suffering will somehow just be gone when we, when we believe the right thing or do, or do the right thing or act the right way. The scripture, does, the scripture is obviously very realistic, and, and we expect there's going to be suffering. The suffering is going to persist. And if, if one suffering is alleviated, another one is going to come on us. So, so scripture does not anticipate that all our sufferings are going to be gone. The question is, how do we how do we know Jesus in the midst of our suffering? How do we live wisely before Jesus in the midst of our suffering? Or let me use another word, Adam, which I think is an important one. How do we live wisely, turning to Jesus in the midst of our weakness? That would be even a more specific word than suffering. Uh, and, and 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 that word weakness that the Apostle Paul uses in Second Corinthians is 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 usually not the way that people with psychiatric diagnoses move into scripture but it is this wide open door it's it's weakness they're physical paul's identified these as physical kinds of weaknesses they can be weaknesses of the brain they can be weaknesses of the eyes they can be all kinds of weaknesses and what paul says to us is what i found is this that that in this world, we will experience weakness. In fact, that's the normal Christian life. Uh, 
The normal Christian life is not one that feels powerful. It is. It feels like being weak, and like we can't make it through the day. It feels like dependence. And in that dependence, we will find the one who has been weak along with us and weak for us. And we also will find the one who is now strong and 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 we we we, we live in his strength. So you see what I'm doing? I'm just I'm just trying to find here here are ways that a distant diagnosis that doesn't seem to be identified. Here's the here's one of the gates in scripture. Um, and its weakness and scripture doesn't necessarily say the weakness will be will be gone but if we follow the apostle paul's lead he had joy even in the midst of his weakness he had a life that was he talks about this fullness of life even in the midst of weakness that's that's the path that, that we can be on with jesus for anyone who's listening to us this is an issue that's probably touching into their immediate life and uh, maybe even strikes a chord with them the reaction to this, their frustrations, they've been dealing with this for a long time. What advice do you have for them to see from this, from a biblical perspective, what they're struggling with can be addressed by the gospel? To, to consider how, if we are struggling with something, don't we know that our God cares about these things? He, he, he is the God of compassion. It's one of the premier ways that he speaks of himself. So can we at least agree, and we can all agree on this, that he is the God of compassion with psychiatric disorders. So that, that sort of frees us to be able to turn toward him. So what do we do? We, we are just normal Christians. Jesus, help. 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 I don't, even know what, I don't even know what kind of help I need. Help. Why haven't you helped? Where are you in the midst of these things? How long? We... We speak those things to, to the Lord. That is what is most important. We, we get on a road that is going to bring us to Christ and Him crucified. The second thing we do is, is we read everything we can, talk to every person we can, uh, and, and, and try anything that might be helpful. Um, I mean, there are a lot of things that are not helpful and people claim they're helpful, but we, 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 we ask questions such as, how did this happen? And, and what could this be? And are there treatments that have been helpful? And what has helped other people? So those are all fair game things within with, within God's world. We 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 study we study the particular struggles we have, never abandoning that the most important questions are fundamental spiritual questions that that remind us that the God who is there is also the God who is here and is very very close. I think you, you've touched on something that's really important because it seems in times, and we see this throughout the Psalms as well, it seems, where are you, God, in the midst of my suffering? And it, it's hard to make that connection. For our listeners who are struggling in that point, right then and there, they're, they're struggling with asking that question, what word of comfort do you have for them? One of the things you just got me thinking was, consider, you know, consider this. Consider flipping through the Psalms with the reminder that there are all these open doors for psychiatric disorders. There, Psalms are, are saying to us from the Lord, what is on your heart? What are the things that are most important? What it is was it like for you? So for us to, to, to heed that question and then look for Psalms that, 
begin to put words to the things we're struggling with. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Um, Whatever it might be, um, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Whatever it might be, the depths is the, the worst of human suffering. We find a psalm that we can sort of crawl into, and then perhaps we let the psalm take us on a path. Uh, and and the path will ultimately be remembering our God who is good. And, and there are many things we don't know. We live before him as a child. who We know him, but a lot of the other things, they're, they're up for grabs. So, so one of the things that a person with a psychiatric diagnosis can, be, can do is, is see if they can sort of sneak into a psalm and then allow the psalm to take, take you to different places. Now, ultimately, it does take you to praise and joy. And if you can't get that far, those are things you pray. You know, that next question, what, what do you need? Jesus asks you, what do you really need? You can say, well, Jesus, here's what I need. I got this part of the psalm, but the, I, this, this other part of the psalm, the, psalm is just let, the psalmist just ran down the road, and I am lost. I don't know what it means to praise you. I don't even know why I would praise you in the midst of that. If, if this is what I'm to do, teach me how to do it. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to offer just a little bit of hope that, that this isn't the end of the road for people who are going through struggles that are so, so confusing. That, that there are these windows all over Scripture that draw us in to, to God's house in this new way of doing things where he speaks to us, there's this back and forth. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean everything is all, all gone. But to have that right person with us, uh, that makes all the difference. Hmm. For any of our listeners who have a loved one who has a psychiatric diagnosis, and they're struggling to figure out how to, to love them, how to help them, how to care for them, maybe they even are concerned about this diagnosis and and don't know how to address that with them. What kind of advice do you have for them as they are loving somebody with one of these issues? Yeah, well, get any help you can. Uh, any Anybody who knows something about that struggle will find good, reliable help. Find psychiatrists who, who will answer your questions, who will listen to you. So find help. That's just what wise people do. But more specifically, if this is in your home, it's sometimes, frankly, it, the suffering is more intense for the family than it is for the person who is going through it. You, you, know, you notice that with dementia. And now dementia is not a psychiatric disorder in, in this sense, but it's harder for the family than it is, who is going, for the person who's actually going through it oftentimes. So, so it's going to be very hard for the family. God has compassion for the family. One of the things I think that can be helpful for the family is to Persevere with that same question God asks. What is it like? The better you know someone, the more patient you will be with that person, the more compassionate you will be with that person, and the more likely you will be able to say things that are helpful for that person. So so consider that first question. What is it like? Is it like this? Is it like this? Is it like this? To listen to the person, to invite them to speak, to help us to understand and then perhaps for us to say, is it like this? And, and when they say, yeah, now you understand, that's, that, that will be a place that becomes hopeful for both the, the afflicted person and for the family. 
And from there, we can say, okay, now that we understand, now let's pray. Mm. Now let's speak these words to the Lord, and let's ask that question. Okay, Lord, what should we ask for? This is what it's like. What should we ask of you? Mm. That's those, what we're looking for in Scripture are things that are profound, yet doable. They're accessible. Uh, family members are actually able to do them without having to be an expert uh, with the details of these problems. With that being said, could I ask you to pray for our listeners, to pray for them specifically, especially with all of these front and center, it seems, and the struggles that they're facing day after day. Mm-hmm. Would you pray for those who are both plagued mm-hmm. with these psychological disorders, but also those who are caring for them? I'd be honored to. Thanks, Adam. Let me pray. Uh, Father, here's here's what we want. As, as Christians who know you, I, I think I can speak for for most of us we here are the problems of life that we encounter they are confusing they are overwhelming they are life dominating our question is how do you speak to us how do you speak to the depth of our souls what are those good words that you speak to us and what are words that you want us to speak to you that's our challenge father i pray for my brothers and sisters those who struggle and those who love those who struggle, that that you would make that bridge, that somehow the partitions, that, that it separates psychiatric struggles and your words, would you tear them down? Would, would, would the Spirit open eyes in Scripture? So all of a sudden they see all these ways that you invite them further into your word, and your word only speaks good things. Would you give them more and more of Jesus? Thank you, Father, that you speak about everything. And, and there, is, there is no dark recess that somehow, somehow you are not aware of. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for how you come to us in our miseries. And it's been proven in Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. We've been talking with Dr. Ed Welch about his book called I Have a Psychiatric Disorder, What Does the Bible Say? It's a great resource, especially if you are struggling or you know somebody who is. This is a resource that you'll want to have and uh, help you walk through that process and hopefully connect you with a whole team that can surround you and walk you through that as well. I can't thank you enough, Ed, for your time for this book, but also your time to talk to us today and to share with us how we can address this from the Word of God. Again, thank you for being a part of the many voices for that one message. Thanks, Adam.